Hello and welcome to the QUB GP Society podcast. This series is entitled Common Conditions in General Practice and is aimed at medical students. We will be discussing some of the most common conditions that you'll see in a primary care setting in terms of their pathology, presentation, diagnosis and management. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that you can see all of our latest episodes and also check out our society on social media so you can keep up to date with the news and events. But for now, on to today's episode. My name is Shalmar Baldemore, and I'm the Assistant Secretary in the Queen's University Belfast GP Society. Thank you for joining today's podcast. Today's subject will be cardiac murmurs. Cardiac murmurs are produced by turbulent blood flow through the heart. This may be due to increased velocity of blood as it is compressed through an abnormal narrowed structure. An example of this would be a valvular stenosis or ventricular septal defects. Murmurs can also arise from regurgitation across an incompetent valve. This is when the blood flows in the wrong direction through a valve which is closed, but has become leaky, allowing blood to flow back into the chamber. Normally, you can hear two heart sounds. The first heart sound, S1, is caused by the closing of the mitral and tricuspid valves at the start of a systolic contraction of the ventricles. The second heart sound, S2, represents the closing of the aortic and pulmonary valves at the end of systole and the start of diastole. S1 and S2 can be heard during auscultation of the heart as a lub-dub sound, so the cycle that we go through is lub-dub-res, lub-dub-res. All murmurs are graded based on intensity on a scale of 1 to 6, though in practice, diastole murmurs being less loud are only graded 1 to 4. Grade 1 refers to murmurs so faint it can only be heard in optimum conditions by an expert. Grade 2 murmurs are soft but detectable, while grade 3 refers to murmurs that are clearly audible. Grade 4 is a loud murmur that is associated with a palpable thrill. Grade 5 murmurs are extremely loud and can be heard with a stethoscope just barely touching the chest. Finally, grade 6 murmurs can be heard without a stethoscope. In general, murmurs grade 4 and higher are accompanied by a palpable thrill. Murmurs should be described based on a number of specific characteristics. When it comes to assessing murmurs in a clinical setting or during your OSCE practice, we can use the script mnemonic to describe heart murmurs. S stands for sight, where the murmur is heard loudest. C is for character. They can be soft, blowing, crescendo, meaning getting louder, decrescendo, getting quieter, or crescendo, decrescendo, getting louder than quieter. R is for radiation, depending on the direction of turbulent blood flow. For example, Murmurs that radiate over the carotids suggest aortic stenosis, meanwhile murmurs that radiate to the left axilla suggest mitral regurgitation. I is for intensity, which we talked about earlier. I would also like to mention that there are some maneuvers that can increase intensity of the murmur, which I will go into detail later. P is for pitch, whether the murmur is high-pitched or low and grumbling. T is for timing whether the murmur is systolic or diastolic. 
Keeping these features in mind, I will now discuss some of the common cardiac murmurs that you might encounter in the clinical setting. I'll first start off with aortic stenosis, which is the most common valvular disease that you'll encounter in the clinical practice. Aortic stenosis is defined as the narrowing of the aortic valve, which results in the left ventricle working harder to pump out blood into the circulation, leading to left ventricular hypertrophy. This produces a high-pitched systolic ejection murmur, which is best heard at the aortic area, the right upper sternal border, and will classically radiate to the carotid arteries. Aortic stenosis is also described as a crescendo-decrescendo murmur, as it gets increasingly louder than quieter as a result of the speed of blood flow during the different times of systolic contractions. Although some people develop aortic stenosis because of rheumatic heart disease or bicuspid aortic valve if you're under 70, this condition more commonly develops during aging as calcium or scarring damages the valve and restricts amount of blood flowing through. Keeping in mind of the pathophysiology of aortic stenosis, patients may present with angina, dyspnea, and exertional syncope due to difficulties maintaining adequate blood flow to the vein. When you examine their blood pressure, they may have a narrow pulse pressure. This means that the difference between the systolic and diastolic pressures is small because the aortic valve is narrowed and the pressure is never going to get as high as it should. They can also have a pulsus parvus etardis, which is a small delayed carotid pulse not specific to aortic stenosis. One symptomatic treatment is generally valve replacement. It is important to remember that mechanical valves require lifelong anticoagulation, whereas bioprosthetic does not. Moving on, mitral stenosis is characterized as a low-pitched, early, mid-diastolic rumbling murmur preceded by an opening snap. It is best heard at the apex in the left lateral position, loudest on expiration using the bell of a stethoscope. The sound of a mitral stenosis is increased when the patient is in the left lateral decubitus position, that is, when the patient is lying on the left side. There may be a prominent S1 as stenotic mitral valves close forcefully. This occurs due to narrowing of the mitral valve, making it difficult for the left atrium to push blood into the ventricles. Left atrial pressure increases, ultimately leading to pulmonary hypertension. The etiology of mitral stenosis is rheumatic heart disease, which is the commonest cause of mitral stenosis worldwide. Other causes may include congenital, left atrial myxoma, infective endocarditis, and connective tissue disorders. Patients with mitral stenosis may present with dyspnea, fatigue, chest pain, and hemoptysis. As blood is backed up in the left atrium, you may get a left atrial enlargement, causing atrial fibrillation. Another sign to look out for is known as a malar flush, due to the back pressure of blood into the pulmonary system, causing a rise in CO2 and vasodilation. Treatment is through percutaneous balloon valvuloplasty. This is for young people or those with non-calcified valves. Otherwise, patients would be offered valve replacement. Medical management should also be considered 
and this would include promoting dental hygiene and offering antibiotic prophylaxis to reduce risk of infective endocarditis, as well as treating pulmonary congestion with vasodilators and loop diuretics. The third valvular disorder is mitral regurgitation. This is described as a pansystolic, high-pitched, blowing murmur occurring between S1 and S2. This represents a high-velocity backflow of blood through a leaky mitral valve from left ventricle to left atrium. Mitral regurgitation can be heard loudest at the apex with radiation to the left axilla. It is associated with a mid-systolic click if there is a mitral prolapse present. Acute causes of mitral regurgitation may be ruptured papillary muscles secondary to ischemia or infarction, ruptured chordae tendinae, infective endocarditis, and any other trauma to valve or surrounding structures. Chronic causes of mitral regurgitation are degenerative causes, rheumatic heart disease, and connective tissue disease such as Marfan syndrome and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Patients with mitral regurgitation present with pulmonary symptoms, dyspnea, orthopnea, fatigue, palpitations, and atrial fibrillation. These patients can become acutely unwell and develop severe pulmonary edema or go into cardiogenic shock. Treatment primarily focuses on repair rather than replacement. You can provide symptomatic treatment of pulmonary congestion using vasodilators and diuretics. As with the others, you can treat any arrhythmias and promote dental hygiene to reduce risk of infective endocarditis. Surgical mitral valve replacement or repair is also possible. Finally, I will now discuss aortic regurgitation. This is classified as an early diastolic decrescendo blowing murmur. This is best heard at the left sternal edge radiating to the apex. Intensity of murmur can be increased by asking the patient to sit forward and to exhale. In aortic regurgitation, large volume of blood that has been pumped through the aorta returns to the left ventricle during diastole. Acute causes of aortic regurgitation include infective endocarditis and aortic dissection. Chronic causes include long-standing hypertension, rheumatic heart disease, connective tissue disorders, and congenital causes such as bicuspid aortic valve. This condition is associated with a wide pulse pressure and a collapsing pulse as a result of a sudden drop in blood pressure after ventricular contraction. Other signs you may see in your examination may include a corrigan's pulse, which is a visible distension and collapse of carotid pulse, quinky sign, which is red-colored pulsations in the nail beds, or the musset sign, where you can see a patient's head bobbing with each heartbeat. Medical treatment focuses on reducing afterload through vasodilators. According to the Rule of 55s, surgical management should be considered if patients are asymptomatic but with an ejection fraction below 55%, or if left ventricle and systolic dimension is over 55 millimeters. We hope that you've enjoyed today's podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of our future episodes, and feel free to leave us a review. 
If you do have any ideas, suggestions or feedback, don't be afraid to get in touch with us via email at gp-sock at qub.ac.uk. Our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram accounts are regularly updated with all the essential information from our society. Thank you for listening and goodbye.